Hello and welcome to Rewatch. My name is Seth Scruggs. And I'm Zach Vaughn. And this is a show about movies we love and movies we haven't seen yet. Uh, We swap movies here. And this week, we're talking about musicals. Zach, it's a musical week. Your favorite genre. My favorite. Okay, that's that's (laughs) deceptive, but also not deceptive. It is. Zach does not like musicals. I do not. I would agree. So, (laughs) but I would put the stipulation that I do not like musicals in general, but I do like musicals. I do like specific musicals. That, that is true. That that Um, is true. And as we will see today, right. As, as you will hear today, we're going to talk about one of the, one of the musicals. That one you of like. the musicals that I like. One of, I think, under five musicals that I like. In a, in addition to the one that we're going to talk about, what are the other musicals that you like? Uh, I really enjoyed Tick, Tick, Boom. Okay. Uh, Les Miserables. Uh, are we talking only movie musicals or specific? or uh, Movie musicals, yeah. Movie musicals. So yeah, that not, might be it. Yeah. Is that it? Two? That might be it. Three. Three, including Sweeney Todd. Oh, including Sweeney including Todd. Including Sweeney which Todd. Is, which is the movie that we're about to talk about. I think three. Okay. Maybe okay. one more. Um, I like musicals significantly more. I, You can't see it, but there is a Singing in the Rain poster on my wall in my office. Uh, and I, I greatly love the second movie that we're going to talk about today. Does Once Count? I I don't count once. Okay, it's a music as movie. A, not it is a music, musical. right? It's a music okay. movie. It's not a musical. Okay. I I for me, I tend to count movies as musicals when the music that is included is not diegetic. Okay, it, it's not in the world of the movie. It's characters breaking out into song not mm-hmm. creating songs tick tick boom rides that a little bit but i i think that it it's i mean i think it's very clearly a movie musical yeah okay that's fair yeah all right so actually we're, into we're, the let's movies. jump into the movie now that we've kind of talked around musicals yeah Zach, tell me about sweeney todd so sweeney todd the demon barber of fleet street is a 2007 movie directed by tim burton which gives you a sense of the tone of the movie. Uh, if you're familiar with Tim Burton's style, no, it's, it's very it's dark even for him. Yes. <laughs> it's, it's dark. It's, it's dark. Um, it's about a barber um, who kind of, he, he left his home country, home city to go away after uh, an incident with his wife and the governor mayor leader political leader of the city uh and he has returned to reestablish himself uh under a new name as a barber and he meets uh helena bonham carter who actually johnny depp is 
Sweeney Todd. I feel like that's important to mention. Yes. Yeah. Um, it that's stars kind of the draw. Yeah. It's, it, it stars Johnny Depp, Helena Bonham, Helena Bonham Carter and Alan Rickman. Um, Johnny Depp plays the titular Sweeney Todd. Uh, Helena Bonham. That's such a hard name. Helena Bonham Carter plays uh, Mrs. Lovett, who is a meat pie baker. Um, eventually, they team up. He has a a barbershop above her bakery, and customers come in. He gives them a shave. He cuts it very, very close, meaning he kills them. And then she bakes them into meat pies and sells them. Uh, and it's, it's, it's a story of revenge with consequences because in avenging his wife, he finds that he, spoilers, uh, which we really should, don't probably need to give spoiler alerts in these anymore that's the point of the show (laughs) if you're if you've been listening to the show for this long and you're surprised when we spoil the movie then i i don't know what you're listening to yeah uh but he ends up killing his wife who he thought was dead um and i believe his daughter no he he allows his daughter to go free right okay uh but yeah he ends up killing his wife thinking that she was already dead and then he sees oh she was not actually dead i just thought she was um but yeah seth i had already seen this movie i rewatched it again uh as a stress relief actually a little bit earlier <laughs> than i normally do for rewatch episodes uh it was a couple weeks ago when i rewatched this uh cuz i was just doing it for kicks uh <laughs> even though I knew that we were going to be doing an episode on it. Um, Seth, as your first time watching it, what were what were the th- big things that jumped out at you? Well, first of all, I think that it says, it, it says something and I won't, I, I don't want to diagnose what it says, but I think it says something that for kicks, you watched this movie as a stress relief because I felt very stressed throughout the entirety of this movie. <laughs> Uh, the music is very good. I'm gonna, I want to start there because it's a Sondheim score. The late great Stephen Sondheim. He does a great. I mean, it's it's a good score. Story wise, I think it's very good. I did not like how this movie looked visually, which made it very hard for me to really dig into it. And I don't and I don't know sometimes when a movie is like that for me, it's just like I'm watching it on the wrong day and like I'm too busy thinking about other things to really get into it. So maybe that was it. But other times, like the whole time I was just thinking about how I would have shot it differently, or visually I would have wanted it to look differently. I never felt like the movie lives in a lot of close-ups for a lot of the time. And which I, you know is my bread and butter. Which, I love which close-ups. Which is Zach's bread and butter. Which is could be why part of why he likes this movie so much. 
but for me, I never, as much as I like those, and there are some really good arresting moments with Johnny Depp in close up that are really, really, really good. But for a good portion of the movie, I just, I felt like I didn't have a good sense of the world of what was happening. I think that in it, especially because like a musical theater experience is, can be three hours long. You can have two hour and a half acts that ultimately make up the show. And anytime that you put that into even a two hour movie, like this is, or even a two and a half hour movie, like some movie musicals are, but this movie is two hours. It felt like it stripped back. And and this is not just a problem that I've seen in Sweeney Todd. It's a problem in several movies that I've seen, movie musicals that I've seen. It felt like because we had to strip back for time's sake, too much of the story was um, accelerated in a way that I didn't feel like felt like a natural ramp up. For instance, in this movie, uh, Johnny Depp's Sweeney Todd is trying to find this judge who raped and raped his wife and exiled Sweeney Todd from his hometown. And at the end of the first act of the show is where it falls, but he gets him. He tries to kill him, but he gets interrupted before he can. So he decides I'm just going to kill other people and make everyone suffer for this injustice because of the way that it plays out on screen in a more condensed form, that jump for me felt like a lot. And it felt like, because it moved so quick from going back and forth about murdering this one guy and am I going to do it and should I do it and I really want to do it and I want to find this guy and do it to now I'm just going to murder anyone who comes and sits in my chair felt very aggressive and very quick to me. And part of it, I think, going back to that, how it's shot, everything just felt very tight and very narrow focused to the point that I felt like I didn't get a sense of the world at all about what else was going on. That's, in short, my thoughts on it. (laughs) In short-ish. Yeah, Yeah, I think that's fair. I think think those are all very reasonable takeaways i will say one of the things that i did like about it and this is this may be part of what put me off about the visuals is that there's some sections that are very much influenced by like 80s 70s 80s slasher flicks where there's like blood splatters on the camera and the camera's shaking and moving and i really liked those moments but they felt like they didn't quite fit in for me with all of the other moments and all the, the way that the rest of the movie is shot. And so it felt like if Tim Burton was going to swing that big with those moments, with those shots, he should have swung that big with the other stuff. Mm-hmm. 
which is very Burton-y, very, it, it's very Burton-y throughout whatever that means to you. It looks like a Tim Burton movie. Maybe it's just because Johnny Depp and Helena Bonham Carter are in it, but it feels like a Johnny or it feels like a Tim Burton movie. But it felt like I really needed. It felt like it needed to like pick a lane and go in it. So if it's going to be a 70s to 80s like slasher movie, then give me less polished VFX, you know, like like make it feel gritty and real because there are moments where it feels very supernatural and fantasy fantastical which is what tim burton specializes in and that's great he does a great job at that he's made a big long career out of looking fantastical but it kind of but then you have these moments of like blood spatters on the camera and really like visceral moments and i wanted it to go one way or the other and i felt like it was kind of caught in between so i feel like I feel like in a way that was probably intentional yeah. because you've got, I think a, a lot of the movie plays with um, uh, idealistic intentions with, uh, with uh, savage application. Yeah. Um, so like you have this guy who, his wife was raped and he's on his, on this quest to kill the, kill the, the perpetrator. And, uh, in doing so, he puts on this innocent, I am an expert in my field. I am an excellent craftsman front. Um, and joins up with a meat pie baker. What's, what's more innocent than a baker? Right. Like, um, but on on the flip side of both of those, he's he's dedicated to this craft or has dedicated his craft to specialize in murder. And mm. the meat pie baker uses human meat. So like you've you've got the you've got uh both sides constantly at war with each other of the innocent and the gruesome. Um, so I think that, I think that kind of makes sense to have the, uh, uh, the fantasy, the fantastic next to the slasher. Um, mm-hmm. because it just, they just, it's, it's more contrast, um, thematically as well as, uh, as narratively. Yeah. That was something else I don't think they didn't emphasize enough. And I don't know enough about the source material to comment on that. I wanted to get more of like what was going on with the meat pie stuff. I I felt like they just kind of brushed over the fact that not only does because one of the ironies of the of the story is that she's baking these people into meat and suddenly or into pies and suddenly the meat pie store which was the worst in town is now the best in town so all of these people are eating people and suddenly feeling really good about it 
And so there's this element of irony. I would I would have loved to see that emphasized more. Yeah, I it felt very emphasized the first time I watched it, but watching it this time, it definitely didn't feel like there is as deep a dive into that as there there could have been to really emphasize it. I know it sounds weird to say that I would have loved to see that. But I I would have loved to see like I think that the what they're trying to do and what they're trying to say about like what is wrong with humanity which is really what the, the movie's getting at I think is really an interesting idea but because of the story itself which is about murdering people and baking them into meat pies you got to bi- go big or go home mm-hmm. there and it felt like they just didn't go big enough on that specific point for it to work at least for me i can see that i am i am but one man so i can't i cannot speak for everybody zach you can speak as only one man as well about your experience what did see that segue there yeah i i did and i want to hear i want to hear what you thought about the movie this time i I really enjoyed it. The first time I watched it, I I was left just kind of in awe at the intensity of it, I guess. Um, I was definitely taken aback the first time I watched it because I was caught off guard by uh, all of the blood. Um, it is it is brutal. Yeah. Like, um, there's a lot of blood. I think my, my biggest... I've I've taken a lot more I've 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 put a lot more attention into analyzing story. I guess between when I saw it the first time and when I saw it this time, I've I've read a lot more books on writing and uh thought more about theory and structure uh and writing practices. And so I noticed the, the the one of the things that jumped out to me the most was just how much of a tragic protagonist he was um where he he starts he starts largely innocent and then just gets progressively worse and worse and worse as he makes more and more of the bad decisions whether it's right or wrong the like i guess i don't know right or wrong is easier to determine than good or bad uh the violent decisions he makes um and you just see you just see him push himself further and further down uh to the point where he he undoes his own quest because he kills his wife um so that's what jumped that's one of the things that jumped out to me um and the comparison of the innocence of his daughter with the utmost creepiness of Alan Rickman's character. I hated that. Um, and, and the skeeziness of Helena Bonham Carter's, I said it right. Helena Bonham. And I just didn't <laughs> just uh, totally undid it. Helena Bonham Carter's uh, character as the, just this. So, so desperate to, to make a to make to make a buck that 
she's willing to go in with a murderer. Well, and encourage the murder. And encourage the murder so that she can make human meat pies. Um, yeah. I also noticed, like, I was much more grossed out by how absolutely filthy and disgusting her bakery is. Yep. Um, it's, ugh. Um, but Try the Priest is a good song. <laughs> If that's the name you know, of it, I, I don't know uh, if that's... I think it's a little priest. I think it's a yeah, little priest. Yeah, some, something like that. Uh, which was actually my introduction to Sweeney Todd. There is yeah. a show at... Uh, there's like a, a small musical theater show of a bunch of different mus- uh, songs from musicals where I heard that and I was like, I like this song. Um, did, did you yeah. know at the time that they were talking about eating a priest? I mean, it's pie? pretty obvious yeah it's pretty it's pretty straightforward in that song um yeah yeah i think i knew it was talking about cannibalism i i'd be interested in seeing this in a stage form because like i said it's it's so difficult to translate a two-act show into a film because of the way that two-act two-act shows by their nature are structured differently than a film is structured Mm -hmm. because it's designed to essentially have a full plot in the first half that leaves you on a cliffhanger that is then concluded in the second act. And so with this, you leave off. I think, I think what I was reading is that like the first act ends with um, the failed murder of the judge and Sweeney's decision to start murdering basically anyone he can come into contact with. And then act two starts kind of middle of that journey. And, and I think that that's a better way to experience this story at least the way that it's currently structured. I think it would have required a lot more restructuring in order to feel a little bit more complete for me. I can see that. It's definitely altering, not altering, I guess altering, uh, adapting any, any work from one medium to another is always going to be imperfect right because i mean i yeah from one medium to another like you can remake a movie and have it be pretty much the same but it's gonna be it's definitely gonna be different because of different artistic touches but like because you're shifting the limitations and advantages the the length right that's available to you uh like going from like going from a Marvel comic to a Marvel movie, you can tell a story over 30, 50 comics yeah. that would possibly allow a lot more depth than a two, two and a half hour movie. Right. Um, you have to tell it differently. Yeah. 
um, books, you have a lot more time that you can expand the universe, build, set up things, right. stretch out the characters, explore the characters, um, TV even. Movies, one of the movies are one of the most limited mediums because you have right. you're unless unless it's a well-established IP, you're not getting more than two and a half hours, really. Right. And and I think for me specifically that div- the fact that there's this division with accepted like time jumps in a in a theatrical setting if we jump 10 years in between acts we accept that as mm-hmm. like two separate halves of the story or whatever you know if we speed mm-hmm. up or change things and we reach we reach some sort of a climax and then we have an intermission and then we come back and we restart essentially at the bottom and then reach another climax. We accept that in the rhythms of going to a theater, but I think in a movie we, you know, we want one, we want one up and down, mm-hmm. you know, if we're following the plot diagram. And so to kind of have a little bit of that kind of up with a little bit of resolution and then way up and with resolution it it just feels awkward. Um and I, I don't I think it could have been more elegantly put to screen here. Which is a shame because I really did enjoy the performances. I do want to say something good about this movie before we before we leave. Because I, I don't think it's a bad movie. Um I I really, really I love Alan Rickman. Love Alan Rickman. So it's great to see him. Really good uh, Harry Potter cast showing here. Uh, just like in between two Harry Potter movies, just a bunch of Harry Potter actors. All right, because and- his his right hand man was Wormtongue, right? Uh, Worm not Wormtongue. Who? Wormtail. Wormtail. Wormtongue is Lord of the Rings. That's right. <laughs> wrong. Wrong. Uh, fantasy Fan- yeah. novel series. Yeah, he was Wormtail, and Helena Bonham Carter is in mm-hmm. uh, Harry Potter. Jamie Kimball Bauer is in Harry Potter. Very briefly, uh, Anthony in this film. Okay. And then Johnny Depp is in the sequel series. So just a strong Harry Potter showing <laughs> in general here. Um, also, I think I read that this was Sasha Baron Cohen's first role out, uh, first role after Borat. Yeah, bold choices. Um, bold and, choices on the and I love that he part. plays effectively the same character in this as he does in Miz. <laughs> yes, and and Helena Bonham Carter as well. Yeah, just yeah. just the same 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 thing. Same thing. Ole Miz, a movie that we will not be speaking about on this podcast, not because we don't like it. But because we've both already seen it. And also because it's not really worth talking about. I enjoyed it. There's there's very little to say about it that hasn't been said. That's true. And with that, we've we've fully moved off of Sweeney Tide. We've fully moved off of Sweeney Tide. So why don't we take a break and 
will come back and then to, we'll... to my favorite movie it's you know this this next one i oh boy, you loved it it's it's crazy i will go on and on about how much i enjoyed this movie and we'll see just how much zach is lying when we come back from the break hey what's up this is seth scruggs host of rewatch that show that you're listening to right now and if you like this show there's also a good chance that you would like our youtube channel you can find it mark spots the x productions on youtube there's a link in our show notes and over there we have short films and behind the scenes content and a bunch of other stuff that we have planned for the rest of this year You can go over there and subscribe. That really helps us out and helps other people find our work. And if you like this show and you want to help other people find our work, you can follow the show, give us a review and a rating, and that really helps other people find our work as well. All right, let's get back to the show. All right, we're back and we're going to talk about, is this the, your least favorite movie that we've talked about on this podcast? Oh, see, I didn't. If you, I knew you were going to ask that question, then I would have prepared and looked up all of the movies. Every that other movie about. that we've talked about. Um, I don't think so. This season, definitely. Mm, this season. This season, definitely. This season, definitely. Um, okay. Even though I did not enjoy Moneyball, I enjoyed this one much less. less. I really enjoy um, making you watch movies that you don't like. See, that's fine, but I it makes me feel bad because <laughs> I'm like this isn't oh it's a, it's going to be a toss up between this and the 1966 Batman. Oh yeah, another movie that I kind of for some for similar reasons. Um, Interesting. Yeah, like, I I don't well, I let don't me... I don't like going on about how I dislike movies because this movie, this, this podcast is more about analysis. Like it's, it's first impressions and uh, returning impressions, which implies that it's not necessarily as much about, did you enjoy it or did you not as much? What did you get from it? with the awe of the first time experience compared to the now that I've already seen it and got that awe out of the way, what are some of the more specific things do I notice and take away from it? Right. So when I don't like a movie, it makes me sad because it becomes more about me talking about that. I didn't like the movie and not as much analyzing it. That was a bit of a rant, but it makes good content. So, and you haven't hated as many movies as I have. Yeah. Pretty much as Akira for you. Let me, let me introduce the movie that we're talking about. How about that? Let's do that. We're talking about American in Paris. It's a 1951 musical film directed by Vincent Minnelli. Um, This is the best picture winner of 1952. That makes me mad. Uh, to be fair, Pickens were slim that year. The only <laughs> other thing, I think it was up against like Streetcar Named Desire, and that that's it. That that's the only other thing that it could have could have won against. Another disappointment for me. 
It stars Gene Kelly as Jerry Mulligan, Leslie Caron, Oscar Levant, uh, Nina Folk. And I enjoy this movie a lot. And I did notice some things watching a little bit more with a critical eye on this time. But I want to hear what what specifically... I know one of the things that were that you did not care for, but like what outside of the twenty minute ballet at the end? I yeah, I actually, I mean, I didn't dislike the twenty minute ballet at the end any more than I disliked like the rest of it. But I assume that that it's a different thing. It's a yeah. So like. Actually, my favorite shot in the film is in that. Oh, really? Uh, it's when it's all black except for the spotlight on the two of them and they're stopped right yep. before it goes into like the really yellow part. Yeah. I really part. liked that shot. And I actually, not because I wanted the movie to be over, but because I really liked that shot, I was really hoping that would be the last shot. Yeah. Because I was like, this would be a really cool way to end it. Yeah. Um, I was disappointed. But um, I... I think I, that's a that's a remnant of Studio Hollywood that it doesn't end that way. Yeah, is knowing having being very intimately familiar with Gene Kelly's work as I am, I, he would have definitely pushed to have something or something along that line be the end of the film. But studios exist. So I cut you off. Continue. So I started watching the Spielberg 2021 West Side Story, a phenomenal film. And I turned it off 40 minutes in um, because I was frustrated that I felt like I had gotten 10 minutes of story in the 40 minutes that I had been watching because there was so much dancing. The dancing's fantastic. It's fantastic. The movie looks good. The movie's acted well. The singers are singing well. I just was wanting more story, the separation of appreciating dance and watching a movie for me is distinct for this. Wow. I could go straight into talking about suspension of disbelief versus realism right now. Uh, but I'll wait a little bit to get into that. Um, the dancing's fantastic. That is the correct thing to say and i get i get the appeal of this movie especially for you being a dancer and loving gene kelly which i have a poster of singing in the rain on my wall yeah uh 70th anniversary everyone celebrate so like i i absolutely understand and respect the the practice the dedication of the craft of dancing he did a great job all of it's great he choreographed it and all of the dancing's great but let's start with the story uh there wasn't much no and what was there felt very forced and uncomfortable for me um because uh for one uh no means no This guy sees a girl, 
sitting at a nearby table at a restaurant and stares at her for basically the entire time they're there. And I think she notices, no, he, he goes, yeah, she notices and isn't super comfortable with it. So he tracks her down and goes to her place of business and doesn't take no for an answer. Uh, I didn't like that. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then eventually they go out and he's pressuring her in a bunch of different ways. Not, not in what I would consider like violent, aggressive ways, but definitely in pressuring ways that in real life usually aren't as innocent as he <laughs> was as intending, he actually is as he actually is doing. Um, so I didn't like that. And then the fact that like he's doing all this and she's engaged, basically she's basically engaged and then yeah. actually engaged and she's doing all of this. And like, especially knowing that while he was trying to woo her, I didn't like that because he's literally, instead of just letting her know be no, because she has female, because she has agency. Yeah. He was trying to convince her unknowingly to break up with the person she was with. Yeah. I will say, I think, I think that part of why that part of the really, that part of the movie doesn't work. And I'm not, I'm not necessarily, I'm not disagreeing necessarily. I think that because this is Leslie Caron's first movie acting in English. And I, I think that there should have been, I agree that it doesn't work, but I think that what the, they were trying to do was for her to have this kind of coyness to her as though she's kind of flirting and leading him along. And so what I felt like was happening was like, he was playing off of something that wasn't there. Like she's this great mystery that he's trying to figure out. And so he's playing it as though she's this great mystery that she's, that he's trying to figure out. And as she's playing it, like she's just totally uninterested. Mm -hmm. And so I, that to me, and I don't know if that's a directing thing. I don't know if that's a writing thing. Like, I don't know where in, where in the process of making this movie that broke down, but I feel like that's what was missing. Does that make sense? Yeah. It, like I, it yeah. felt like it felt like what they were trying, what I was being told in the subtext is she's in this relationship that she doesn't necessarily really want to be in, but she feels like she has to be in it. That's something she verbally says towards the end of the movie, but it's only towards the end of the movie. Right. Right. So right, right. For, no, I'm yeah. not, I'm not disagreeing with you that, that's something that I realized on this watch is that it feels very poorly structured because a lot of the movie 
theoretically depends on this irony that these two guys like the same girl. And both of them are falling in love with this girl. And we don't get any of that interplay of that irony until the last like 15 minutes of the movie. When So there's a scene that happens. There's three central male figures in the movie. And two of them are in love with the same girl. And in this number, they're both singing about how great it is to be in love. I think a counter to your point that the musical numbers don't necessarily push the story along because I think it's a brilliant way to, I I thought that the way that the irony plays in that scene is amazing. And so these two guys are in love with the same girl and their friend realizes that they're both in love with the same girl. That was a great scene. And so he's caught in the middle. If that scene happened an hour earlier in the movie, I think the movie is totally better Mm -hmm. because that scene is when everything kind of happens and you get, you get that these two characters are inevitably on this course to make this, that this girl is going to have to choose between the two of them Mm -hmm. and it's going to affect their friendship. And that also lengthens the, the timetable that they're on. Right. So, so in it, in the current in the fin- in the movie now as it stands now there's like 10 more minutes in the movie. Yeah, minutes. well no, I'm I'm saying like in in universe the time frame of it. Right. I'm not super I I was a little distracted uh by not being super engaged by the movie. Uh so I don't like I'm guessing this takes place over a matter of like under a week. If not like no. a couple days. No, it actually takes place over the course of about three months. Okay. That makes a lot more sense because in my mind I was seeing this and I'm like, okay, so this guy pressures this girl into going out with him. And then days later confesses his love for her and she confesses her love back. That's one of the things that I couldn't buy. No, yeah, it it like, happens over the course of months. Like love at first sight. You missed, you missed a montage in there in being distracted. There okay. was a montage. Okay. Um <laughs> but yeah, so that that changes things. But even then, like I yeah. I did not He's he's largely innocent, not I I don't mean by actions, I mean by like intentions naive naive. he's very naive right yeah um but at the same time he's incredibly impulsive and very dangerously i would say because what does he do as soon as the girl he loves says she can't be with him even though she loves him he immediately says okay then i'll just go to my sponsor and a woman who has been trying to seduce him right and he's like, okay, it's it's very, it's very impulsive and reactive. And I'm like, oh, okay, I don't like that. You are literally shifting your focus on to it, it's 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 very objectifying 
of the sponsor because he goes it and retroactively objectifying of Lisa. Right. Because he's saying, oh, well, I guess if you won't love, if you won't be with me, then I need someone. And well, you're there. Guess you'll do. Right. And that tastes bad to me. Yeah, I agree. I, again, and I think that this, I don't know if this is a breakdown between from the writer or from the director. There's some important subtext where if you've seen it a few times, like you pick up on certain lines and things that they try and drop, but you learn that Milo, the sponsor has done this before she picks up young artists that she finds interesting or handsome or whatever and supports them and tries to get them to love her essentially through um, being a patron of their art. And it always falls through whether she picks up a young composer and tries to sponsor him eventually he always finds somebody else because she's older because whatever and and just like with lisa i don't know if this is a breakdown of the writer not writing compelling female characters the studio not wanting to write and develop those female characters rather than the male musical leads which is a very possible thing or if it's the director not knowing how to direct them that I don't think that it's on the actresses. I think that they give decent performances though. Mm -hmm. Leslie Crones, I think feels a little bit more stunted just because she's still learning the language. But if those things were drawn out where Lisa's playing more coy, where the sponsor kind of has these ulterior, these a little bit more clear ulterior motives for what she's doing you get less of this guy kind of preying on them and objectifying them with them being very, the women being very like almost naive innocence, mm-hmm. which is kind of how it's played in, in the movie. But the characters, what we're, what we're told about the characters and how they are treated is very different. Right. And how they are performed is very different. And so if we were, if they acted as we are told that they are, then it's a totally different movie. There's way more interplay happening. There's way more stuff there. And so I I agree with what you're saying. That, That was really what stuck out to me this time was that all of those things that should be there that if we if we are making this movie today, those story points that they should be trying to draw out would have been drawn out. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I think part of it is probably due to the fact that they're still under a lot of... In the 50s, there was still some of that studio restriction and sanitizing. And so the more suggestive elements of the movie were not drawn out. Mm-hmm. We're not there as present as maybe they should have been. Yeah. And I think, I think it's interesting how you, how you mentioned specifically like what we're told about the characters versus how they're, they're played. That's that can be leveraged really, really right. well to show uh character depth. Yes. Um, but I think what 
what it what it didn't do in this the the way you show depth is by having characters contradict in more subtle ways uh kind of underhanded ways contradict what we're told what people are saying about characters not so much as uh you have a uh like it, it, it dynamically miss d- dynamically act differently than uh what we're told versus in this it's more of a static difference yeah where it's not that they're going against it it's just they're not fitting into it we're given an expectation and they don't live up to it right they don't but- they don't live against it they just don't live up to it right I mean, it's, it's, it's that just, lukewarm middle. Yeah, for sure. I, like Lisa, we're kind of like, Jerry is constantly like, well, you never tell me anything. You never tell me about who you are. You, we never talk about you. And it's because she's kind of keeping her side secret. That's a really interesting character trait that if drawn out could be really developed, but instead it comes across as like, well, I'm not interested in you. Mm-hmm. which I don't think is what they're trying to portray. And I think Jerry comes off as way less creepy if, if she's, you know, really not telling him something mm-hmm. rather than not being interested in him. Right. Yeah. That, that would change a lot because and, right now it, he pressures and at some points physically grabs and won't let go of a girl who's right. not interested in him until she agrees to go out with right. him again. Right. Which, whew. which feels creepy. Yeah. But it's, if, yeah. if she was what we're told she is, then he's not, he's grabbing her because she's trying to like coyly run away. It's it's all a cat and mouse game. It's not a it's not a which is irresponsible still on her part. That's another story. That's another thing that we can talk. Yeah, yeah. We're not we're not here to talk about that. Yeah. Can I talk about some things that I really love about this movie? Yes, do it. Um, Gush. I love Gene Kelly's dancing, and I love he takes um, even when he's not directing his even when he didn't direct his films he did take a large hand in how the dance sequences are shot and i think that his dance numbers for the most part are the biggest counter to your point about dancing not pushing the story along because he was such a believer in making sure that the the dance pushes the story and makes the story happen. And I think the biggest example of that in this movie and really across all of, um, Gene's career is the ballet down by the river that they do where the whole thing, you get this sense that they are having a conversation where she's kind of, he's trying to get to know her and she's 
she might be pulling away, but is really in her pulling away is coming closer and they're falling in love. He does this beautiful thing in almost every, every one of his films where as two characters come closer together physically, the camera pushes in. It is one of the most dynamically impressive shots to me in everything that it communicates through the movement of the actors, through the movement of the dancers, through the music, because there's always this musical swell right at this moment. And the camera just swoops in. It happens in Singing in the Rain in the You Were You Were Meant for Me uh song, which is a very similar kind of moment in Singing in the Rain. I don't know if you remember that part, but uh it's, it's been a while since I saw Singing in the Rain. It's Gene Kelly and Debbie Reynolds dancing on this um, empty soundstage. And it does the same thing. They they come closer. They're climbing up a ladder towards each other. And the camera swoops in and pushes in. Uh, It happens in Brigadoon as well, which is another Vincent Minnelli movie. To lesser effect because because of it being shot in Cinescope. Which is another rabbit trail for another time. I could talk about how Cinemascope ruined film dancing but that's another that's another conversation for us to have um the opening sequence of this movie in which we see jerry in his uh in his apartment oh it's so it's where he's where he's doing everything around the apartment uh i think about that sequence two times a week just i'll just be thinking about it Gene Kelly was the master of his craft. Period. End of sentence. When you were talking about dance on film, he is one of the few choreographers in the world, especially during the 40s and 50s, who is choreographing for the camera. First. Camera first. Fred Astaire was known for his dancing on screen, but Fred Astaire was so tall and everything that, and everything he did was head to toe because he was, he was still thinking in a stage first mindset, head to toe pant, you know, camera trucks left and right as he goes. There are moments in dance sequences as Gene Kelly uses them that are full on, close-ups on the face as dancing is happening because he understood something intrinsically about the way that stories are told on screen and how he could use the camera as part of the dance. And he plays a lot with it in the final ballet, which we haven't really talked about. The last 20 minutes of this movie is just this incredible incredible like technicolor artistic ballet that takes place in his character's head basically and the way that the camera moves in that is unlike really anything i i think done before or since i feel very passionately about how billy shoots shoots dance on yeah on he he does a fantastic job one of my one of the 
in my running notes and quips I have about the movie as I was watching it, as I do with all movies, was dude can sing and tap dance at the same time. And like, sure, I don't know the technology or how it was shot specifically to know whether the audio of him singing is specifically what's used or if he was lip syncing. Either way, he can at least lip sync and tap dance at the same time, which I would not be able to do. Right. Um, right. And I want to clarify, you you texted me when you were watching this. You watched <laughs> this before me. And you texted me, oh gosh, you're going to hate this. When I was watching it, and it was in his apartment, the smooth flow of everything that he was doing, I started to think, wow, I think Seth was wrong. <laughs> you weren't. But I that was so cool. It was so cool. And I was like, if it's like this, I'm in. And then Gene- with, with the uh the the concert pianist, oh yeah. I love that guy. Yeah. That he was as I was watching, I was like, he's the best character in the movie. Like mm-hmm. he's the guy he should have been the audience character like who we're seeing the film through. And that would have, I think made the movie 10 times better. I want to go back for a second. Like Gene Kelly's pure athleticism in the way that, in the way that he dances, he, he was very dedicated to bringing out this very uh, athletic form of ballet, this very masculine form of ballet and i think that that's really what you see in that opening number is he's doing a dance essentially with the apartment but it's it's not a dance dance it's how life is a dance and it's it's absolutely amazing i will say i think that the camera work in this movie is phenomenal except in the opening part because they keep going to the wrong character ha 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 um at the at the in the in the final in the final dance sequence one thing that i really really liked especially it was in in the in the more close up parts um was it really like da- dancing isn't unnatural but it looked very much like he wasn't necessarily dancing as much as he was just mo- like moving as naturally as possible and in that it became a dance yep like it 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 wasn't it wasn't conscious dancing it was it was movement so unconscious that it was dance which was really and, cool to see and, and he was you- and he had so much control he had so such perfect control over the movements of his body that I was so impressed. And you just nailed the appeal of Gene Kelly in that in that statement. That's that's the appeal. He the way that he could just move without questioning it, and it all came so naturally. Even though it is, he was a total perfectionist. There's a there's a great anecdote uh, from Shid, Sid Sharice, who appeared in Singing in the Rain and also in Brigadoon with Gene Kelly and a few others, I think. 
And her husband told her that he could tell when she'd been working with Jean because she would come home and her feet were all blistered because he just, he would run numbers over and over and over. Um, Yeah. I could go on and on about how much I love Jean Kelly. And I think that that means that we should wrap up this segment because I think we've drifted far enough from our topic that that concludes this week. Next week, we're going to be real bleak. It's it's another bleak week here on... Oh, gosh, yeah. Here on Rewatch. Uh, but we hope that you'll join us. Until then, you can find me on Instagram and on Letterboxd. I'm at Seth Scruggs. There'll be a link in the show notes. Zach? On Letterboxd, you can find me at Zachary Vaughn. And on Instagram, at Zachary is thinking. And you can find us on youtube and instagram at mark spots dx productions i think it's dot productions i think it's actually just productions oh okay mark spots dx productions on instagram and youtube uh might want to check that youtube might want to might want to subscribe on that on that youtube channel there might that would be that would be a good thing for you to do there might be some good things there and maybe some some things popping up And if you do like watching your podcast, for whatever reason, you can find us on YouTube as well at MarkPodsDX. All right. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next week.